Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Groundbuster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Are you looking for the best suspension technology for your sport ATV? Look no further than Elka Suspension, the industry leader in sport ATV suspension technology. With championship wins in prestigious events such as the Dakar Rally, Score, Best in the Desert, ATV MX, Cross Country, and Works, Elka Suspension has established itself as the go-to choice for athletes and enthusiasts alike. But they don't just stop at ATVs. They're constantly expanding into new markets, including UTVs, trucks, SUVs, pit bikes, snowmobiles, and more. Their commitment to innovation and quality means they're always looking to improve and adapt so you can enjoy a smooth ride wherever you go. Want to learn more about what Elka Suspension can do for you? Visit their website at elkasuspension.com or give them a call at 450-655-4855. They will always be happy to answer your questions and help you find the perfect suspension solution for your needs. Tom 2K, welcome to ATV Talk, sir. How are you? Great, Leonard. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Long time coming. You know, beings that I started this for history, um, should have had you on when we started this thing to 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 really get it kicked off. Yeah. Uh you're going you're going back pretty far now. I didn't realize this year will be the fortieth year um since the ATVA you know GNCC series started. Well, I go all the way back to nineteen sixty-nine. When the very first US 90 came to the United States, and my dad went to the Honda show. And in episode three, we talk about it. And he, his first comment when he seen it was, Why would anybody buy one of those? <laughs> oh, I hear you. Uh, I actually started out on a Honda Mini Trail. Uh, I think it was a 69. You know, I was five years old. And I couldn't believe, you know, we just swung by this dealership and I think it was $300 for a mini trail then. And we bought this on the mini trail and, you know, back then I was so small, five years old, you know, it's like up past my waist. And so my mom wouldn't let me ride it unless they were there. And I said, if I can get it started, can I ride it? And so I went down the garage and I was heck bent on getting it started. I got it started and took off riding and, you know, the rest is history. Um, but the way I got into three wheelers was in the Pittsburgh area back then. We had good significant snowfall in the winter. 
so I had a dirt bike and I had a snowmobile, but then it was like, you know, there were times I couldn't ride either. And I'm like, oh, I see this Honda 185S, I think it was, three-wheeler. And that was my three-wheeler. So I sold my motorcycle, sold my snowmobile. I'm like, I could ride this three-wheeler all year long. So I was happy. I, you know, I rode practically every day because that's the other thing I was going to mention. That things are so different now. No video games, no social media. So to keep out of trouble, you know, if you had something to do, uh, that kept you out of trouble. So I think that's my mom's uh, ulterior motive. And I'm happy to say it worked because uh, I had a great place to ride. I had a 10-mile track laid out. Like I said, I rode almost every day year-round. It was uh, pretty nice. In our pre-conversation, you were telling me about the first original name of the series. Can you go over that again for me? Uh, sure. Uh, Dave Coombs was a promoter, which is Racer Productions' founder. And it was actually, it was started off just motorcycles, and it was the Wiseco 100-miler series. And uh, it was pretty rugged and brutal. And like its name implies, it was 100 milers for motorcycles, which is, you know, unbelievable. And the tracks that he laid out were just so technical then that, it, it, they were unbelievable. So I started racing in 82. Uh, that's one thing. My mom wouldn't let me race till I was 18. So 1982, I graduated. So I'm riding with my buddies, and they're like, hey, you know, they're racing three-wheelers out at the local track. They says, you look pretty fast. You ought to try it. And I think at that time, I had my 250R because they were out then, and the fat front wheel one. And uh, so, you know, I bought a set of flat, you know, the low-profile uh, tires and went out there and my first race I got third and I'm like oh I was hooked after that you know just <laughs> every weekend you know I was racing once or twice then so that were you racing a, a local motocross track at that point uh, yes how yes get, how did you get tied into the woods well Dave Coombs was ran the, the motocross tracks also in the Pittsburgh Morgantown area. So there was, you know, of course, High Point Raceway where they held the motorcycle nationals. And then uh, also later on, they started running Steel City Nationals, which was near Pittsburgh also. But then there was a local, uh, it was a car dirt track. I think it's a half mile track. And so they built a motocross track in the infield of it. And so that, uh, like I mentioned in 82, I went racing motocross there. And so being that Dave was the promoter of the Wiseco 100 miler series and the three motocross tracks in the area, uh, he said to me, Hey, Tom, I'm, I'm going to start racing three wheelers in the Wiseco 100 miler series next year. I'd like you guys to come out and try it. And uh, so, of course, you know, he told all us three-wheeler guys that raced the local tracks to come out and try it. And, uh, yeah, I'll never forget it. Uh, like I said, his tracks were really technical, uh, unbelievable. And, you know, nothing against today's tracks. I know, you know, now you got, what, a thousand riders, and you couldn't possibly have that technical of a track nowadays. It would just bottleneck everywhere. And uh, I remember the first race, it was snowing. It was a big bear. It was snowing. And I mean, my hands were frozen to the handlebars when we were done at that race. It was a big bear. Yep. And he raced in the wintertime, summertime. He didn't care. Well, 
you know, we're, you know, I got to remember we're Pittsburgh, Morgantown area, and we would start even in April. You know, you could have some good snows and cold temperatures even in April. So it, it typically started April and ended like October, but you're pushing, you know, late winter or, you know, early winter in the fall. So you could have some definitely, especially in the mountain areas. Uh, well, that area. Tom, you're talking to a guy that lives in Southern California and wears shorts year round. Oh, so. no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not into the cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I get older, I like to think smarter. Uh, yeah, I'm not into the cold anymore either. <laughs> well, you, you go out and you race that 82 250R. Mm-hmm. And then you rode in that hundred mile series, and you said you won the very first championship in '83. Uh yes, that's true. In '83, that was the first official year, and it was still the one hundred miler series. Uh, of course, you couldn't expect the three wheelers to go hundred miles, so it was uh, two hours plus one lap. So if you come in one hour fifty nine minutes and fifty nine seconds, guess what? You were going back out for another lap. So that's how he started off running the three wheelers. Oh, that had to have been brutal. Oh yeah, it was. And and like I said, some of the tracks were so rough and technical, uh, off cambers and just so tight. Uh, you know, you're lucky if it was four foot wide at certain places, you know, especially when we started off with three wheelers and, uh, in the West Virginia mountains, the rocks are just unbelievable rough there. Um, so I, at times, my personal opinion, I would say uh, Big Bear Campground, which is in Brewston Mills, West Virginia, was probably the hardest track over, over Blackwater also. But Blackwater had more popularity. It did have the peat bogs, which is something that's on this planet, uh, the peat bogs. And, you know, of course, you had river crossings and you did have rocky sections. But personally, do you think Blackwater would have been near as exciting if it wouldn't have been for the people damming up the creeks uh yes but spectator wise blackwater was more accessible because you had the 93 river crossing you started in the town of davis so that was a big you know money maker for the town itself uh you started off with the creek crossing and then you know, a couple miles in, you actually had a river crossing and went out the power lines and the laps there at Blackwater were between 20 and 25 miles, depending on the year. So you were lucky if you did, you did two laps typically on uh, three or four wheelers where the bikes typically did four or five for the hundred milers. Um, but it was, uh, it was pretty rough out there. Yeah, but it Bob, it had like I said, so I have to go ride around a little bit at Blackwater with Bob Sloan. Okay, yeah, oh, okay. So you got to enjoy the. Uh, I had to see it before it was flooded. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, you know the mud fleas at the ninety three River Crossing. Yeah, that was uh, uh, that. I'm sure people lived all year for that. You know, they wet down the banks and. Uh, but they'd help you up if you had to try the main line. You couldn't, you know, there's always paths off to the side that they didn't want you uh, avoiding that main hill climb out of the river there. 
Yeah, they wanted you to come, at least give it a shot. And they'd pull you and your bike up there. There's plenty of videos online of the Blackwater uh, 93 River Crossing. I don't have the results for the Blackwater um, in front of me. So I don't know all of the winners and all the classes for the years. Did you, did you win the Blackwater? And if you did, how many times? Would you believe it? That's the only race I've never won. Uh, for really? one reason, one reason or another, uh, let me see. Let's say '84, and I was going to save this story for one time or another, but now it's as good as any. So Kawasaki came out with their Ducati, and uh, so you compare that to the Honda on paper, and it was like, wow, Kawasaki is hands down the uh, you know the winner. So the dealership I was riding for at that time sold Hondas and Kawasaki. So I buy the Kawasaki and so set it up for the races and start racing it. But uh, unfortunately, I think I DNF'd. I was leading four times, first four races, and DNF'd on that three-wheeler. So what am I going to do? Here comes Blackwater. So actually, my sister had a 250R. So I'm like, I need to ride your 250R in the Blackwater. And all my friends are like, you know, you need to get back on a Honda. So I borrowed my sister's. And I don't know if you remember that year uh, on the axle, they had the two nuts that jammed it into the bearing carrier. And unbeknownst to me at that time, I guess corrosion would get in those threads between, between the nuts and corrode it. And sure enough, I'm winning Blackwater that time. First lap, the axle breaks right in half between his nuts. I'm like, what's the chance of this? Again, uh, I was late, and the axle breaks. And so the rest of the story, it's still exciting. So I'm sitting there, and like I said, Blackwater's 20, 25 mile laps. People are coming through with flat tires. Hey, hey, buddy, you know, not even knowing anybody, can I borrow a tire? So by the time the race was over, I'd loaned all my tires away. <laughs> Anything else anybody needed, you know, a lever, you need a lever. So now my, you know, three-wheeler sitting there cannibalized. And like I said, the, my, the track was so far out of town and remote that by the time they got to me, of course, back then, we didn't have these great LED lights and all. So they came out. So they had to bring me tires. They had to bring an axle. And we put the bike back together out there in the middle of nowhere. And I rode back. Of course, at that point, I'm cold. Once it got dark, you know, the temperature dropped. I'm soaking wet. I'm cold. I think I made it back to town at 10 o'clock that night. So. Wow. Yeah. I'm mad with your sister. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, I had to fix it up, put everything back, and like, but I think after that, I think the new four tracks. No, I think I got the new three wheeler then. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you so you went and rode an 85 250R for a while? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, that was one nice thing in the fall, you know, the last two, three races, depending the new, that next year's. Three-wheelers or four-wheelers would come out. Right. Okay. So you, in 84, Teddy Trey won the title, just squeaked it out. And Yes. It barely beat you, correct? 
That's correct. Like I said, I started out in Kawasaki, and I think I was looking at the results. I DNF'd the first four races. And back then, that was another thing I was looking at. Uh, I didn't realize, until just looking back today, that the first several years, there was only seven races in the series. That it wasn't until 87 that there was 11 races in the series. So with seven races, and I think they might have let us throw out one of our worst finish i'm not sure so with those four dnfs i think i got a first second and first the last three races but the dns really kill your scoring if i would have just came in you know top 10 you would have got some points but a dnf you don't get any points and so the last race at redlands come down to whether where teddy trey finished and mike holbert and so <laughs> so i always kid teddy teddy trey and i are still friends and i still kid him to this day i'm like i short you know i had one by you know a couple minutes or whatever and so it, it you know i'm anxiously waiting to see who comes out of the woods next and uh mike mike over had been leading the whole race and then sure enough out of the woods comes teddy trey with mike over right on his tail and so i lost like i said by a point or two that year so they must have had trouble during out throughout the year as well. Uh, I guess, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I didn't know till recently uh, when we talked about the event where Team Honda showed up at Red Lens. I says when I looked at the results, I'm like, Teddy, what happened to you there? Because him and I typically always battled it out. We were pretty close time wise, and uh, I think he, he said his swing arm broke or chain and sprocket broke or something I'm like oh because you would have been a you know a lot because he was down at the bottom of the results for that race and so this yeah. that was just recently i seen that sheet that you sent me and, and saw that <laughs> and um we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in just a, a little bit but, <laughs> okay uh you know because i'm i'm friends with mike but when mm -hmm. teddy was on he did make sure to comment about his 84 title that the only reason he won is because you had problems. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Teddy's a good old boy. Yeah, he knew. He knew that that, <laughs> that it was yeah. it was that way. He was also thinking that you and him probably would have got more Honda help if it wouldn't have been for the uh, the news article that came out on TV. You know uh, that you guys uh, probably yeah. would have. Oh yeah, that uh, changed industry, not for the good for the riders. Um, and uh, I understand, you know, Honda was at the forefront, you know, with making the three wheelers, and uh, so they got the worst, the most and worst publicity from it. And so, yeah, because uh, what after that came out, uh, they dropped their team. And I heard it was because their legal department said they don't want to be accused of promoting an unsafe sport. So with all the lawsuits going down with three wheelers. Well, it's just spineless people, but that's, we, we, uh, we can get into that another day. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm still pissed about it, but um, when you were running those years, we were also talking that your first title was mainly one uh, raced on a three-wheeler. 
So we'll give that a three-wheeler title. Okay. Yep. Um, rode against a, an 85. The, the, the other guy was on an 85 Suzuki. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Bernard, he was a top rider. And once he got that Suzuki dialed in, as long as he didn't break down, uh, uh, he, could, he could definitely win the overall. Because as we all know, the advantage of a four-wheeler over a three-wheeler. So you won two more titles after that. Yes. And, and they were on they were on a four wheeler. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. That's more than once that uh because uh, I come out of retirement once and rode for uh Mickey Dunlap. And uh so he he thought the same thing. Well, you won how many years on a three wheeler? I'm like, Well, really the first year I started on a three wheeler but finished on a four wheeler. Yeah. What was the transition like for you to go from the three-wheeler? Because, I mean, you talk about your history back all the way to 185S as a young man riding the three-wheelers. And then all of a sudden, you're, you see this four-wheel thing and you're like, well, let's give it a try. And so what was the transition like for you? Okay, well, it all started, again, the group of riders that we raced. And uh, off season, we still rode together. There was a group of us, and uh, Jimmy Wise and Roy Danes. They all lived down closer to Morgantown, and I go down there and ride with them. And uh, there's another fella, uh, Bill Lutz, was the first one that I personally saw that had a uh, Suzuki Quad Racer. And Bill was a good-hearted guy, and but you know he wasn't a top rider. And then so we're riding, you know, we all have our three wheelers, and you know Bill usually would fall behind, and so we we realized first time we go riding, Bill's right on our tail. We're like, what's up with this four wheeler? You know, there must be something to this. You know, at first we're like kidding about it. You know, you're gonna keep us with us on that four wheel and sure enough he did and we're like uh oh i think uh we're gonna have a problem here <laughs> so how did you come about to get a did you ride one before you bought one uh no um i was still had the mindset that i could win on a three-wheeler but uh as i saw you know, an average rider on a four-wheeler could keep up with the top riders on a three-wheeler. And I'm like, uh-oh, um, John Ayers, uh, you know, he he was, he owned Gear Racewear at the time. Uh, he raced Summit Point on a quad racer. And John was an accomplished rider in his time. And I mean, he still wasn't that old back then. And uh, he raced that quad racer. And he's battling with me. I'm like, who's this new guy? And you know, he was on a quad racer and uh, at some point, and, you know, I'm on my three-wheeler busting my butt and trying to hold him off. Uh, so um, I think my first quad racer, I traded some, but someone had a quad racer they wanted to get rid of. And I said, well, you want to trade me for my three-wheeler? And I think that's how I ended up with my first quad racer, yeah. So you rode a Suzuki? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I started out with that. Yep. Uh, I think that was in the off season to get ready. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you, so then, and then I realized that there is a big advantage having that extra will up front. Once you got it through the trees, that was the only 
downside where the three wheeler, you know, you didn't have to worry too much about the front end. It was just the back end. Were you still riding uh, local motocross stuff too at the same time? Oh yes. Uh, because like I said, with seven races in the GNCC or Wiseco 100 miler series every weekend, Friday night, it was, it was called Motodrome Speedway. That's the one inside the dirt track. So Friday night I was racing there. Typically Saturday I'd race motocross somewhere or Sunday. So every weekend I was probably racing two or three times. You know, just keep your practice up, your competition, and staying in shape. Yeah. So I'd race two, three times every weekend. What did you do for a job? Oh, at the time, uh, I was a journeyman electrician. So I did, you know, get injured a few times. And uh, so then I was single living at home. So really no worries at that point. Uh, responsibility. That pays pretty good too, didn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah, it did. So. So do you, do you still do that for a living? Are you still uh, a journeyman electrician? Or did you move on to a different field? Uh, believe it or not, I was able to keep up my journeyman electrician's license. Uh, in 98, I got hired by U.S. Airways as a pilot instructor. And so I did that for 23 years and I was still able to work as electrician on my days off because we had a pretty lucrative schedule at the airlines. And so I actually worked, worked both jobs there for up and recently and then i actually became an airline pilot here a couple years ago so that's that's where i'm at so you fly the big jets uh pretty much yeah close to 100,000 pounds 76 passengers uh in the northeast well we fly the midwest too but uh we do all the busy hubs like uh today i was in chicago here laguardia kennedy boston uh we do all the uh big hubs your adrenaline junkie is what I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty thrilling. I uh, I thought about the other the other day. The best way to sum it up is uh, you're bringing a hundred thousand pounds in at uh, around 150 mile an hour, and you're landing on a one mile dead end street. So yeah, yeah. So so you no different than the 18 year old kid, you know, riding yeah. the street. You know, now yeah, you're exactly. just a giant plane. That's right, yeah. <clears throat> and isn't it yeah. technically a three-wheeler? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you are. They are. <laughs> Never thought you of it that way. Three-wheeler yep, back to the three-wheeler. See that? So you won three consecutive titles. Yeah. Almost four. Almost four. Well, almost five, really, if you count the, 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 yes. the first season. And right. what did you do after that? Uh, got married, started a family, and kind of uh, went cold turkey. I think I sold everything. And, um, that was it. I mean, I might go watch one race a year, but uh, that was it until I think it was '04. Lord only knows why. Uh, I think Mike Benson somehow, uh, you know, Mickey Dunlap had that four-stroke tech team, and that's when. You know, the Honda only had the 400EX. And so, you know, Nicky did build a pretty good motor. And so I went back and uh, 
raced pro class then. And, uh, but I could tell I didn't have the time and dedication that I needed to run the pro class. And, uh, I think my best finish was like third or fourth in Florida, but that was a mud fest. So I had an advantage there. And, uh, so, you know, I, I did first, I did find the first hour, but, uh, after that I was, uh, I was dying. So, uh, that was that comeback. How long had it been since you raced? So you won. Yeah, I would say 88 was my last year I raced. And that was um, on the Suzuki quad racer. Yeah. Why did you go from a Honda to a Suzuki? Because this (laughs) (laughs) is going to be a good story, huh? Yes. Yes, it is. So, in 85, when I beat Team Honda at Loretta Lynn's, so might as well bring this story up now, some of it. Let's just just clarify that. You just go ahead and and go run with it, because I've seen it. Okay. So, you know, Dave Coons is telling us, guys, hey, I got Team Honda coming to Loretta Lynn's race this spring, uh, 1985. Says so, you know, they come with their box fans, or they I think they might have brought their fifth wheel trailer at the time. So, you know, they had Mar- Marty Hart and Mike Coe were running a two stroke class, and uh, so who else did they have? They had uh, Curtis Sparks and uh, Stevie Wright, and who else was there? I think there's more. I don't know if Waxeldorfer was if Red Lens at for that race or not. <clears throat> so, so they show up. And uh, so we started down the field and they funneled us into the woods and uh, sure enough, Marty Hart got the whole shot. So, but I'm, I'm next, I'm right on his tail. So uh, we're, we're bumping and weaving through the woods, Marty and I, and it's probably halfway through the first lap. He, uh, he gets flat tired to this day. I'm like, wow, what a, you know, great racer. He pulled over and waved me by cause he knew he's holding me up. And uh, so I just took it from there. And, you know, once I get out in the lead and get in my pace, uh, you know, I kind of run away with it. And <laughs> the, uh, I sent you the timesheet on the finals of that race. I saw where Mike Coe says I helped them prep their bikes and they all beat me. But uh, if you pull up that timesheet, I beat Marty Hart by three minutes and I beat Mike by eight minutes once I looked at that sheet. So, uh, so that following week, uh, first, I think Suzuki called me and then, uh, Kawasaki called me and gave me offers to ride for them. And then Dave Coombs called me. That's the other thing, you know, (laughs) Mike mentioned that Honda picked its team rider strictly on results, but, uh, I beg to differ because Dave Coombs called me. He says, Hey Tom, don't commit to anybody. He says, uh, Bruce Ogilvy from team Honda called me. He wanted to know what kind of guy you were because I guess Honda doesn't just want anybody on their team. You know, they want somebody that's a good sportsman, you know, a nice guy, you know, not some wild card guy. So, uh, he, you know, he says, Honda's putting a package together, I think, to make you an offer. So, you know, don't commit to anybody if you want to ride for Honda. So, sure enough, uh, Honda, Honda called me after that. So, that's when I got on Team Honda. That's a pretty awesome story right there. 
Oh yeah, and I think the dirt will. So, so you got a Honda ride by beating the Honda guys. Right you, now, you got to tell me how you ended up on a Suzuki. Okay, um, so should, should I uh, withhold names to protect the guilty or? Uh, <laughs> no, put it out put it up. I mean, at, at forty years, does anybody really care anymore? That's right. You're you're right. So again, no social media, no no way for quick communication. So it's the off season and. So Dirt Wheels Magazine or ATV News or whatever, you know, subscribe to everything would come out. And it said uh, the following year for 1986, uh, Team Honda uh, wasn't having a team. I'm like, oh, man, that stinks. But they were going to still have contingency money. And I did pretty well with contingency money. So sure enough, the next month and the issue, it says uh, Team Honda announces their cross-country support team. I'm like, what's this? So it was Mike Holbert, Teddy Trey, and I don't know if there's one or two other riders. So I called Bruce Ogilvy. I'm like, hey, Bruce, uh, <laughs> you know, how come I'm not on your uh, factory support team? He says, well, Mike Holbert told me that uh, you weren't racing this year. I mean, I said, you couldn't give me the courtesy of calling me and asking me personally. So I wasn't uh, on a support rider that year. And, I was thinking about quitting then. My mechanic says, let's let's go do it, Tom, and show them that, uh, you know, they made a mistake not putting you on the team that year, and we'll take all their contingency money. So I did uh, do really well that year and took a lot of contingency money and the title. And you rode a Honda that year even though yes. you weren't on their team. That's true, yes. So still didn't answer your question about how I got on a quad racer. So uh, 87, I uh, was still in a Honda. And that was the last year I think Honda had any support or contingency money. And Suzuki offered me a ride uh, for 88. And uh, so, um, yeah, things didn't go well from the beginning. I mean, I, I thank Suzuki to this day, you know, gave me a, a quad parts and all, but uh, I mean, any everything from the geometry, I was never comfortable in the quad racer. Maybe it's just me compared to the uh, four tracks and the so the the trick for cross country at the time. You know, we're talking eighty eight uh, quad racer was put as many Honda parts as you could on the Suzuki. You know, whether it's tie rods, uh, you know, steering stems, or that was the trick. Put as many Honda parts on as you could, but uh, I mean, there's, I mean, I've, I had spindles just breaking off uh, again, you know, leading a race and a spindle would break off. And it's like, uh, yeah, this isn't good. And so my last race, the parting words were, if I couldn't race a Honda, I wasn't racing. And uh, so that was, that was it. That was it. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Do, yeah. So, do, do your children know that you were a factory rider? Uh, yeah, that uh, that comes up occasionally, and now with this podcast, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they do. Uh, I still have a lot of the articles. Uh, I don't know if you heard me. Uh, that Dirt Wheels article when I beat Team Honda was uh, a farm boy beats Team Honda was the uh, headline for that article. <laughs> <laughs> so I was the farm boy, but uh, yeah, I still and, have and the Honda. I still have the Honda contract. Uh, yeah. 
So, so have they ever asked questions about it? Ever, uh, you know, get get detailed about, you know, their oh, dad yes. was somebody in this industry, that industry? Yes, uh, I still have a lot of the Dirt Wheels magazines. At that time, you know, I was in pretty much every issue. And, you know, of course, you know, all the articles in there. Um, so there, there's a lot of reading uh, to do. Um, so, and then they know to this day the easiest way to get cut out of my wheels by anything but a Honda or an Acura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, since then, that's, that's all I buy since then. Hondas or Acuras. Yeah. Okay. Uh, loyal man there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and you didn't go back to racing at all after that? Uh, like I said, I mentioned in, I think I was 04, I wrote for Mickey Dunlap on that 400EX yeah. for Steam. Were you, was your wife around during the racing um, much? Uh, she was there uh, in 88. Yeah, when I was on the uh, quad racer, so that was a very good year. <laughs> so, oh yeah. man, so she never got to see the highlights. Uh, no, no, you're right. But uh, there was a video out there. I think uh, I, I asked, you know, um, Bob Klein and Jimmy Wise. Uh, they didn't get back to me. What year that video was uh, produced? I think it might have been 1983 or four on the series because we were on three wheelers. And uh, so it was a really good video of all the races and stuff. And uh, so it it's out there somewhere. But uh, so that was really good stuff. Did you travel anywhere like to the West Coast or anything to race? Or was it just the series back there? Uh, yes, we did. <laughs> that brings up probably one of the best races in my career, other than the team on the race. But uh, so... Uh, let me see, about six or eight of our uh, top riders, they had a race, and I was surprised they had it in uh, Racer Productions' uh, website, even though they didn't host the race. Uh, it was out in Washington. Um, but anyhow, so we all traveled clear to Washington State because, of course, they put it at the beginning of the series to make everybody go because, you know, you didn't want to miss out on a race and lose any points. And, you know, when it comes down to the end of the year, it's too late if you didn't have those uh, races there. So we all go out to Washington State. And uh, so we're out there at least a few days prior to the race. and Everybody's trying to get their bikes jetted in and uh, the first story of the trip was so we all go riding, and I think it's a national forest there, you know, you know, hundred thousand acre forest, and so we all start off riding, and you know how you get separated a little bit, and come to a fork in the road, and next thing you see, they're up on this other road, and you can't get between the two roads, and so everybody's getting split up, and now it's getting dark, and uh, you know, of course, we're on our race quads i think at that time or three wheelers and we don't have any lights on our you know, race bikes and it's getting dark and everybody's split up now we're into groups of like two and everybody's on their own trying to get back so it, it was uh i mean any road we could find we were getting on the road because the other thing we're low on gas now so uh everybody made it back safely at different times uh we all got in some a lot later than others so we thought we had our bikes all jetted in right 
Uh, I think the elevation was high out there. Um, it was like Seattle area. So um, we walked the track, some of it, and we see it's pretty open. And typically with our oversized tank, it was only like three or four gallon tank on the 250R that uh, I could finish a race. I would have it on reserve, you know, going all in on the bet that I could make it. If I had enough of a lead, I'd stop and get a gallon just to be safe. So, so we see this track's kind of wide open. So Teddy and I are actually out in the lead. And uh, I think we pretty much lapped everyone up to the top three or four place people. Teddy and I are just pushing each other. I got a little bit of a lead. So I get the white flag. And so they had you go out through this campground. And uh, sure enough, I start through the campground and my bike's like, blah, blah. I'm like, What's wrong? You know, first thing you check is your uh, dead man kill switch. Is it the kill switch? You know, to get wet. Yeah. So it's not that. The kids yelling, check your gas. I'm like, what do you mean check my gas? Because I actually got a gallon of gas, too, because I, I did have a little bit of a lead. Sure enough, I look and it's bone dry. Luckily, I, I pulled off the track enough that when Teddy went by, Teddy didn't know he's in the lead now. So... <clears throat> Track-wise, I'm about a half mile from the pits, but, you know, distance-wise, I'm only 100 yards. So I'm screaming and yelling. I'm going, give me, I need gas. I need gas. So they come running with the gas can. You know, I know I only need like a half tank to finish this race. So they put a little bit of gas and I kick it. And I know Teddy doesn't know I'm behind him now. So we, I run the whole lap. And when you got to the last mile or so, it was really dusty. It was through these fields, like I said, the home stretch to the finish line. So there was a double jump down onto this field. So it was like, I just catch Teddy right before these double jumps, and he still doesn't know I'm behind him. So the first jump, I land beside him. He looks over and like, shoot. <laughs> I'll jump him on the next one. And I once I got to the field, I knew he couldn't see because of the dust and so that was uh, the most thrilling race, I think. But so you guys had a great little battle, and he didn't even yeah. know. He thought he was yeah. in second place the whole time. Yeah, knowingly at the, the beginning we had a great battle, and then unknowingly at the end we had a great battle. Also, yeah. How many of the guys that you raced with back then do you still talk to today? Uh. Just a just a handful, like the same guys I rode with, uh, you know, Chuck DeLudo, Bob Klein, uh, Roy Danes, Jimmy Wise, his wife Sue, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. Help. I had Bob here in studio on Saturday with Hannah Hunter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hannah's it's, a pleasure. Uh, well, it's kind of like royalty, you know. She's she's gonna be a legend, a former legend. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And, you know, I felt bad because I we were standing outside, you know, in the driveway, and I looked over at it and I go, "I always thought she'd be bigger." <laughs> she's a little bitty thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's a sweet girl. Yeah. Did Did Bob tell you about the racer reunion he had at his place uh, a few months back? 
So that's where this all stems from is because Jeffrey Hinson from Dirt Wheels told me about it and it didn't really click. And then he started telling me more about it and he sent me a list of all the attendees. Well, maybe not all of the attendees, but a list. And I got the list with phone numbers. And the first person I call is Bob. You were actually the second person I called. But the first person I called was he was at the top of the list. You know, I'm just going down the list. And I haven't even got, I've, I've only got four people deep on there. And I have to wait till I get a little farther down. And, and tape the episodes so that I can, you know, not be too far out on ahead of myself, if you understand what I mean by that. Right. Um, but Bob goes, uh, yeah, I'd love to be on this show, da 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 da, da but I'm going to be in San Diego at the Supercross. Right. And he goes, well, where do you live? And I go, well, I'm about 20 minutes from the stadium. <laughs> oh, wow. Huh. So yeah. And I just asked him, I said, well, do you think you guys would stop by and just do the, do a show in, in, in studio? And he goes, well, sure. All right. So I gave him a little tour of where the, the whole company started from in the, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a customer I had to meet because they were early. So I took him over to our, our current shop and, um, that that used up all of our time. They actually stayed longer than than they were supposed to, but it was great to uh, to get to visit with them. Oh yeah, I, I hope that I get to uh, do an individual episode with both of them because you know there's so many questions I want to ask Hannah about her racing and and her growing up and the, the way she, she did it does it, and then Bob's still got a whole bunch of stories to tell. Would you know that? Oh, yeah, yeah right. right. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so did Bob tell you what he did at his reunion? No, I didn't get the whole spiel of that. <laughs> okay. So, you know, just to keep the old rivalries going, he uh, he laid out a small course on his property. I don't know. It's probably three, four miles. And uh, so the, the, the trick was you, everyone was timed on his four-wheeler, his uh, – I guess it was a 70 or 90, whatever it was. And uh, so everybody got timed on the 70 to see who would win the cross country race. So, uh, so anyhow, Hannah beat me. I finished third <laughs> and I beat Teddy Trey. So, you know, just to keep the rivalry going. But Hannah had a weight advantage over uh, me. So <laughs> not to right. take anything away from her. <laughs> so that, that, that was pretty cool. I'm sorry. Who won? Um, uh, Hannah's friend. Uh, he's a pro am rider. He's moving up to the Steve. pro class. Steve. I'm sorry. Uh, Is it Steve? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. your boyfriend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Stephen. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. That's it. he won. He won. Yep. Well, that's not fair. They shouldn't even have been able to ride. <laughs> oh yeah yep so bob had some good pictures of that yeah hannah was giving me picture. some yeah hannah was giving me some tips i didn't know in those automatics that if you held the shift lever up between gears that it would rev higher <laughs> yeah so he's got a picture of that it's pretty good 
that's pretty that's pretty awesome you know she she didn't even realize i don't think the the legacy that is there with you guys and what you did to build our sport yeah yeah uh it sure come a long way uh you know i know the winnings we were making then compared to what they're making now and uh it's just uh phenomenal and good for them they deserve it yeah yeah yep. they don't make really that much no they don't i thought they did no they don't make that much oh I... mike was telling me that some of the purses that that they got at some of the nationals were huge until the ama got involved once the ama got involved it wasn't as good really so yeah. they limit the purses uh they got rid of the guys that would pay the purses or the oh. money would go to the ama and then they'd only give a pittance to the riders no way wow i didn't know that i'm not i'm not a huge fan of the ama yeah I, well i didn't know that um because i i knew the sponsors you know like all professionals sports players um athletes that uh your sponsors you know made up a lot of your income so yeah and they and they took some of the purse money away to pay the organization uh, you know to do the um and if you look at all the guys in those organizations they're wealthy <laughs> wow wow yeah same deal the guys that are doing all the work aren't the rich ones Oh, you know? you're right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> not much. Yeah, not much trickle down effect there, huh? No, there, I don't think there's any such thing as trickle down. <laughs> <laughs> but we are getting a trickle. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, that's about it, huh? Yeah, because I, I talked to. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I saw Tim Cotter, who was our announcer at the time. I, I'm not sure what Tim's status is now, but uh, I saw him on a flight. Actually, uh, I was going to work, and uh, yeah, he told me those guys were, you know, when this is, you know, a few years back when Bill Balance was the top rider at the time. But, but you know, he was making decent money at the time. But uh, uh, that's another thing. You know, when I was looking at the race results on gnccracing.com uh, we're talking ATV wise I saw in the last 39 years guess how many champions there were I didn't I didn't count it but I'm not sure it's only nine wow. 39 years and so that, that's what I wanted to mention you get a top rider he gets his spiked out in quad three wheel or whatever it may be and it's hard to dethrone them, um, you know, unless you got a real good up and coming rider who's they're dialed in, they get their bike dialed in, uh, you know, Bill Balance and Barry Hawk, how many championships they won? I don't know, nine, 11 total each. Uh, Chris. Well, um, Balance won nine, Barry Hawk won seven. Um, Chris Borich. Walker Fowler won seven. Borich won seven. Yeah, so you got Chuck DeLulo, Bob Sloan, myself, Teddy Trey. And Teddy yeah. won one. You won three. Sloan won two. DeLulu won three. Yeah. 
Uh, and then there's, uh, gosh, I, I just had the list up, and now I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, Bryce Neal, Adam McGee. No, Bryce Neal. He's Bryce Neal's one too. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I don't think Walker, I Fa- Walker Fowler, right? Yeah, Walker Fowler Which, got seven. Yeah, uh, Borch got seven. Unless okay. I'm wrong, I think it's seven. Uh, yeah, Balance is the record holder with nine. Right. You know, and Hawk had seven. Um, mm-hmm. And I believe that Bob was the last champion before they started the streak where there were multiple years. Right. You know, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think that that was the year that he passed is the first year that Barry won his first title. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because Barry, Barry lives. <laughs> 15 miles from me. Uh, that was another neat thing I saw they had in there. National titles by state. And I, I wrote that down. I think Pennsylvania had 19 because you had myself, Chuck DeLulo, Barry Hawk, Chris Borich. Us four were from PA. Oh, that's just, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that is. That is pretty- yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, I don't know all of the, the, women's champions but there's quite a few from pennsylvania as well yeah right right yep what was your most memorable race ever oh well you know of course it had to be the Hon- team honda race um yeah within that um uh, you know is that yeah, because you know nobody beats Team Honda, <laughs> and uh, so that 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 was definitely the most uh, memorable, I guess you'd say, rewarding. Yeah, the most thrilling would have been Teddy and I out in Washington. Yeah, that's the most thrilling. Where was your favorite place to race? I would say Big Bear, even though I personally think it was the roughest track in the series. Um, I did pretty well there. Um, like I said, the, the rocks there was so unusual. I mean, this is probably, you know, 40, 50 pound rocks that are sticking half out of the ground. So it's like a bunch of watermelon sized rocks. And the best thing I found out to do with them was just skipping across them, trying to keep your front end up as much as possible and just skipping across these big, you know, I still call them rocks, you know, or boulders. But yeah, that was definitely the. I, my personal opinion, the toughest race is Big Bear. And you mentioned where that was. Can you tell me where that exactly was again? Yeah, it's in Bruce and Mills, West Virginia. And it's, I think it's like 20 miles east of Morgantown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they don't race there anymore. No, unfortunately, a uh, spectator was killed, uh, you know, just uh, pit riding. And, uh, you know, how insurance companies, you know, it was no way you could have another race here. Yes. Yep. What about, so the Blackwater ended, can you tell me, do you remember why they stopped the Blackwater? I think for the same reason. Uh, the spectators were getting out of control. I, I think they, at the, towards the end there, they had the National Guard there for the weekend. 
uh, for you know acting as military police and state troopers um, because they got such a crowd and they got out of control. Um, there was you know a few fatalities like every year of spectators that uh, because of the you know crowds getting out of control. Um, yeah, so I don't know all the details other than you know it was getting out of hand fatalities and stuff uh, so and i also heard um someone who owned the land or if the government bought it at a certain a certain section there that uh i'm not sure on that yeah i don't know all the details i just know when i went oh man it was the craziest thing i'd ever seen in my life oh yeah yeah it was you ever seen yeah, the movie Deliverance? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, yep. I mean, I'm this wide-eyed kid, you know, I think I was 21, maybe 22. I'd never been to a race like this, you know, and I'm in the front seat, Bob's driving, we drive across the bridge, you know, and there's, you know, I, I, I knew that, that the National Guard was there and there was police, but I, I didn't know that they didn't cross the bridge, right? Yeah. And the first thing I see is a guy buzzing down the deal, holding the Budweiser, riding his three-wheeler, no teeth. His beard is split down the middle, flying, flapping over each shoulder. And he's just having a ball, no shoes on, no helmet, just freaking buzzing across the, you know, the field there. And I'm like, oh, God. And he goes, and Bob looks at me and goes, yeah, you're in a whole new world, boy. <laughs> that's that's right. Oh yeah, uh, the Canaan Valley. You know that's that area is really beautiful, uh, wilderness wise. And uh, yeah, that that was a great race. Yeah, I loved the long laps because you never had a problem with lap riders. <laughs> there was nothing but uh, you know abandoned machines. The second lap, it was just you know carnage everywhere. <laughs> well, that, that that's. That's crazy. I wish they would have a race like that now. I know. I know. Yes. That would be great. Nope. Yeah. But they, somebody always ruins it for the masses. Right. And it wasn't the riders. That's the unfortunate thing. That was a great right. place to race. And again, like, like Big Bear, it was a spectator that you know, pit ride and they got killed. And uh, that was the end of the race there. So it's yeah, probably do something the Yeah, yeah, you know, probably alcohol involved, but uh, yeah, it's two great places that we raced that never happen again. Yeah, it's a bummer deal. Tom Toke, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to tell a little bit of your story uh, on ATV Talk. This whole thing was started for history. And for you to bring a little bit of your history from back east to us, uh, I really, really appreciate your time. Oh, sure. I enjoyed it. I'm glad to share my stories. And, uh, you know, as time is passing and history, it's become history. Yeah, for sure. Well, what we'll set up next time for you when you come on is we'll get a a group of you guys to all come on at the same time and you guys can tell some of the, the group stories together. I'm sure that'll be a lot of fun. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. That'll be good. Yep. Okay. Thank Excellent. you.
well, make sure you tell the family, thank you very much for letting me borrow you. And you have a wonderful night, sir. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll uh, definitely have something for you because I will be in touch. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org, or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International, Inc., offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events, builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world, and they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to duncantechinternational at gmail.com or call 619-716-1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms, and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. 